Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Central Wired podcast, and thanks for listening in. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwired.com or on Facebook and Instagram. We hope this week's message meets you right where you're at. Enjoy. Hey, everybody, that's next weekend coming up. Oh, my gosh. To me, a highlight of a series like this when people uh, yield and surrender fully uh, to the Lordship of Jesus and share with him uh, completely in his death, burial, and resurrection uh, through baptism. And if that's an experience that you're yet to have, um, we would invite you um, to make preparations, invite your friends and family, and we'll make it happen next weekend. Uh, If you're watching online, we love you guys. We're glad you're with us. You, uh, I invite you to come next weekend and be baptized. If you can't, I'll come to your house. <laughs> hey, if you're here for the first time, first time in a long time, man, we are delighted uh, to have you with us. And I thank God for you. And you've caught us in the middle of, to me, one of the most exciting teaching experiences um, I've been a part of. We call it Game Changer because we're trying to integrate into our behavior and our lifestyle these spiritual actions that can change the the entire course of our lives. And to begin the teaching today, let me give you a a little history lesson. Aren't you glad you came? (laughs) Now, how many of you remember when Beloit had them all? I love to go to the Beloit Mall. My Debbie would go shopping and the boys and I would hit the video arcade. You see, back in the early 80s, I know some of you young people will find this hard to believe, but we couldn't play video games on our phones, our computers, iPads, any device. If you wanted to play a video game, you had to go to the mall, find this dark room, a video arcade, you would exchange your quarters or dollars for tokens, fake money. But the video games would accept them and that's how you would play. And you'd walk over to the game to put in your token. Now this, this video game is bigger than you. It outweighs you. If it falls over, it'll kill you. Here's one of my favorite games. Galaga, where is Galaga? There. This is one of my favorites from the old days, early 80s. And uh, it was a pretty simple game. You were a a spaceship and you had all these enemy alien ships who would dive at you and shoot at you and and you would try to destroy them. At level one, there's not too many enemy aliens. They don't go too fast. And if you destroyed all of them, you could level up to level two. Where they went faster, there was more of them. And when you destroyed all of them, you could level up. In fact, I want to talk to you today about leveling up. How to level up your joy. How to level up your peace. How to level up your hope. How to level up your love. Um, Well, back in those days, I, I mean, I would play Galaga quarter after quarter, token after token, again and again. I never could get on my own ability beyond like level seven. I mean, I could level up to five and level up to six, but seven was about my limit until my world changed. And I found out there were two secret moves I could make 
The first move, if I made it, it would keep the enemy from shooting at me. Awesome. I'm unstoppable. They can't kill me. The second move would double my firepower. And so I could destroy them and just level up, level up, level up, level up. Now, I've told you that pathetic story about my early 80 life (laughs) to ask you these three questions. Number one, what does your life look like up to this point in time? Based on decisions you've made, choices you've made, preferences and opinions, what, what does your life look like right now? I mean, what level have you been able to get to in life, in relationships, emotionally, mentally, financially, based on your own ability? Because your abilities will take you so far. But here's number three, question number three. Would you like to know the secret moves of Jesus to take your life to un? limited levels. I I learned a couple secrets for that video game Galaga to go to level up, level up, level up. But what if I give you today a handful of secret moves from Jesus? I mean, the ultimate level. You, You can level out of despair and disappointment. You can level out of anger and addiction. You can level up out of bitterness, insecurity, level up out of fear and worry. You, you can level up into God's favor. You can level up into God's best version of you. And so I want to share with you the secret moves of Jesus to level up to super abundant life. That's where we're going. Jesus said, John 10, 10, I've come to give you life and that life super abundant. Now there's a comma in that sentence. Jesus said, I've come to give you life, comma, and you can choose to live on that side of the comma. Just get by, eke out a living, survive, cope, or you can live the superabundant life of Jesus with superabundant joy and peace and hope. Superabundant love, I mean filled to overflowing. It doesn't matter how other people treat you, you're filled to overflowing with love. It doesn't matter what life does to you, your hope is unending and unfailing. It doesn't matter the circumstances, you get a joy that will not fade or Damn. Now, Jesus reveals these secret moves to take us to super abundant life. He does it in a story. Let me set the scene. I feel your pain. I feel your pain. Jesus is kicked into teaching mode. Closely surrounded by his closest followers. They are huddled around Jesus hanging on every word, absorbing every word, loving every word, amazed by every word. But beyond them, on the fringe, is a bunch of religious elite. I mean, fanatics. Their lives were all about religion, keeping regulations, keeping rules, and they believed themselves to be better than everyone else, particularly Jesus. They were all about religion, and Jesus was the most irreligious person they'd ever met. Jesus flaunted their regulations. Jesus broke their rules and all the people loved Jesus and were following him. (laughs) I'm really sorry. Oh, baby. They were following Jesus into his rule-breaking 
way. So, so Jesus, as he teaches, he talks to the guys closest to him, but loud enough so that those real, really religious rule keepers could hear. And uh, this is how he starts in Luke 18, verse one. Jesus told his disciples, closest guys gathered around him, a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Always pray, even if, it looks like, even if it looks like no answer is coming, even if it appears that the circumstances aren't changing, even if it feels like you're, no one's even listening to you, pray, 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 and never stop praying because relentless prayer disarms your evil enemy and gives you double strength. Just like that old video game back in the 80s, those two secret moves I learned, they couldn't kill me, they couldn't shoot me, but I was given double firepower. You have an enemy. In the same sentence that Jesus says, I've come to give you that life, life and that life super abundant, he precedes that statement with these words, telling us that Satan is a liar, a thief, and a murderer. So Satan tries to attack you by telling lies. The purpose of his lies are to get you to stop trusting in the goodness of God. The purpose of his lies are to get you to think that God is not happy with you, that God is disappointed with you. That's a lie from Satan. To get you to think that God does not love you freely, fully, unconditionally. So Satan will tell you lie after lie after lie to, to allow you to be drugged down by those beliefs. Not only will he lie to you, he will steal from you. He will steal from you all those things that money cannot buy. He'll try to steal your joy, steal your peace, steal your hope, steal your love. And then ultimately to destroy you, to destroy your relationships, your relationships with other people, your relationships with God. That's what he's doing. But if you pray relentlessly, he is disarmed. It's like if he's got fangs putting a bite on your heart, you rip out his fangs. If he's got claws trying to tear up a relationship, you declaw Satan. If he's got a forked tongue, you rip it out and slap him around with it. <laughs> hey, it's just a cough medicine talking. No, my, but my point is, you can't believe his lies while you are relentless in your prayers. You, you, can't, you can't be subject to his murderous, thieving ways as you are relentless in your prayers. Your relentless prayers disarm him and they give you double strength to deal with the struggles in your marriage or your friendships or, or, or your parenting, to deal with, with the financial struggles or health struggles or emotional struggles. You get double strength. So, here is secret move number one. You level up by keeping your prayers going up. You keep your prayers. This is a faith focus. You believe in a good God, and so you keep talking to a good God about whatever's going on in your life, believing that that God is at work to your good. No matter how bad it is, no matter how bad it feels, no matter how bad it appears, you believe somehow God's going to bring beauty out of this ugly situation. That's a faith focus. That levels you up. The opposite is a fear focus. It drags you down. It kicks you while you're down. While you're down, a fear focus gets you to worry about what bad thing will happen next. Faith, what good thing will happen next. Fear, what bad thing will happen next. You see, relentless prayer is holding on, is holding on 
while God gets you to level up. Anybody ever ski when you were a kid, water skiing? Anybody? Y'all ought to get out more. Um, when I was a little boy, my dad loved the water, loved boats, loved skiing, and... <coughs> and... Um, I love you guys. So anyway, I was not as confident as my dad in the water, but I had a security blank. I wore goggles like this. And so my dad's going to teach me how to ski, but I won't take off the goggles. I think I made the Guinness Book of World Rug. Yeah, that thing. World records for wearing goggles while learning to ski. My dad, you know, he's a cool dad. He lets it go. But he says, David, hold on. In fact, he called me Davy. You don't get to call me Davy. <laughs> but he says, hold on to the rope. You know, there's like a handle. My dad's in the boat, rubbing up the engine. I got these skis that are kind of wobbly. And he shoves the throttle. The boat takes off and the rope is ripped right out of my hands. My dad turns the boat around, brings the rope back by me. Dad's like, hold on to the rope. Out he goes, throttle out of my hands. Comes back in. Okay, David, if you don't hold on to the rope, you're going to get out of the water. <laughs> so this time, revs that throttle, back of the boat, goes down, front of the boat comes up, boom, it takes off, and I take off. You know what happens when you hold onto the rope. You think I had, have skinny legs now, you should have seen me then. I pop, pop right up out of the water, and man, I'm flowing, flying out by the side of the boat. Because I held on, I was able to have the fun adventure of skiing for the very first time. That's what relentless prayer does for you and I. When we hold on with our prayers, it's the power of God that lifts us up. It's the power of God that takes us to a new place. I don't have it in me. You don't have it in you. But the power of God will take us to super abundant life when we hold on with our relentless prayers. So I'm not going to get into the first story Jesus told. Uh, you can read it yourself in Luke 18 when you get home. But I will tell you this. That first story was for that inner circle. The outer fringe, really religious guys, they heard it. But here's what Jesus does. First story's done. Jesus steps away from the inner circle. They kind of make a half circle behind him. He steps into the angry presence of these bitter religious guys, these rule keepers. He gets right up into their presence for story number two. Here's story number two. Jesus told this next story to some who had great confidence in their own goodness and scorned everyone else. That word means despised. They thought everybody else was nothing, worse than nothing. Flick them off. Scrape them off. I'm all good. I'm all good at religion. I'm all good at politics. I'm all good at education. I'm all good at having lots of money. Everybody else is a bunch of losers. We're the best. They're nothing. 
They had confidence in their own abilities. And this is the second secret move of Jesus. We level up when we have great confidence in the goodness of God. It's not about how good I am. I ain't that good. It's not about how good you are. It's about how good God is. He is always, he is only, he is forever good. And so he is ever at work to your good. Whenever something goes sideways in your life, something ugly happens, something hurtful happens, you're able to keep moving forward in life because your God is at work to your good. You don't know when he's gonna get done. You don't know how he's gonna get it done. You don't know what he's gonna do. You just know that your God is gonna work everything together for your good. Whatever ugly thing, he's gonna bring beauty out of. Whatever trouble, he's gonna bring triumph out of it. That's the goodness of our God. So here's the story Jesus told. He says there's these two men going up to the temple to pray. And one's a Pharisee. Pharisees are like, yay, we're in the story. This is awesome. And Jesus says the other guy was a despised tax collector. And the Pharisees are like, boo. Yes. They're really into the story. Thank you. <laughs> and this Pharisee, this religious guy, in fact, Jesus, here's how Jesus described him. He said, the proud Pharisee. The proud Pharisee. He takes, he goes into the temple. I mean, he is walking to the temple. He's like marching. He's like, he's like, check me out. He takes center stage where everyone can see, where everyone can hear, where he's got everyone's full attention. And he begins to pray about himself. What kind of prayer is that? In fact, the Greek word there for the preposition about could easily be translated to. This guy is praying to himself. He is so proud of how good he is. He is so proud of how skilled he is at keeping rules and abiding by regulations and, and being the religious guy. He's praying about himself. He's praying to himself. Here's his prayer. The proud Pharisee prayed this prayer. Thank God. Well, at least he put God in the prayer. Thank God I'm not a sinner like everyone else. Oh, Really? I am not a sinner like everyone else, especially that low-life, lousy, loser tax collector over there. Hey, I never cheat. I don't commit adultery. In fact, I go without food twice a week while I pray, and I give God a tenth of everything I earn. I am all that baby and more. Check me out. And the Pharisees listening to this story are like, that dude can pray. I mean, they're like taking notes. I want to pray like that dude. I want to take center stage. And then Jesus throws a plot twist into the story. He uses this word. He says, but. That guy's praying to himself. That guy's praying about himself. That guy's center stage so everyone can see, but. But the tax collector stood at a, at a distance. It's like the tax collector. He's in the shadows, it's like he's only taken one step inside the house of God because he doesn't feel like he even deserves to be there at all. He needs God. He's desperate for God, but he doesn't deserve to go any closer. Stays 
at a distance. And this is huge because this is the third secret move of Jesus. You believe that you don't deserve a thing in this life. Not a thing. I don't deserve my next breath. I don't deserve to be the pastor of such an amazing church. I don't deserve my Debbie and our marriage. I don't deserve my boys, my daughter. I, I, I don't deserve the amount of money I have. I, I don't deserve anything. And when you believe that you don't deserve anything, God freely gives you everything. And when you believe, hey, I got the right to be happy. I am entitled to this job. I deserve my paycheck at the end of the week. I work for it. I deserve it. Oh, really? Who gave you the ability to do that job? When you believe that you deserve, when you have the right, when you are entitled, God gives you squat. That's the Greek word for nothing. Look at this guy. Jesus says it's not just that he's on the fringe. It's not just that he stays in the shadows, but he couldn't even look up to heaven when he prayed. In fact, the force of that phrase is that this guy has one hand over his face. It's not just that he has his head bowed because he can't look at God. God is too holy. He's too nothing, but he covers his face. He's humiliated by his sin, and he reaches one hand up to God, that God, if you give me anything, I'm begging you, God. I need you, God. But if you give me anything, it's just out of your goodness. I don't deserve anything. And I am fully dependent on you for, for anything I have in my life, any part of blessing, any part of favor. And this is a picture Jesus was painting. In fact, it, it gets even more graphic. The guy begins to beat his chest in sorrow. He is so upset over his sin, he starts to beat his chest. Now, the, 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 the disciple guys behind Jesus are like, what the heck? And the, 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 the really religious guys are like, no way. Because men in the day of Jesus never beat their breast. Women did. When women grieved, they would beat their breast. The only time we see in the Bible men and women together beating their breast was at the foot of the cross when Jesus is executed, look at the text. The Bible says, when all the people, men and women, who had gathered to witness this sight, the crucifixion of Jesus, and saw what had taken place in his execution, they beat their breasts and went away. Now, if ever a man in the day of Jesus would beat his breast, he was trying to beat the evil out of his own heart. That's this guy. He can't look up. All I can do is ask, beg. I, I'm, I'm so poverty-stricken spiritually, Lord. And then he's beating his breast in sorrow. He's trying to beat the evil out of his life. You see, this is the fourth secret move of Jesus to level us up to superabundant life. God levels us up when we level down. When we in our prayers go as low as we can go. In our relationships with each other, when we humble ourselves before the others in our lives, we humble ourselves before God. And what happens when we level down in humility, God levels us up. Here's the promise of scripture. Humble yourselves under God's strong hand and in his good time, he will lift you up. 
And so Jesus is not done with this story about this guy on the fringe in the shadows, his face covered, a hand extended, beating the evil out of his heart. The guy finally says a prayer. Oh God, oh God, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's it. The the, the prayer of the Pharisee, the religious guy who knew all the rules and kept all the regulations, that guy's prayer, praying to himself, a proud prayer, praying about himself, God doesn't even hear it. This guy's prayer, this guy's prayer, a prayer for mercy, God hears, God answers Every time, the moment that guy answered for, asked for mercy, God gave him mercy just like that. The moment you, I pray this prayer every day. Every night when Deb and I pray together in our home, I pray that prayer over us. Oh God, have mercy on us as sinners because I love mercy. I need mercy. Now grace, grace is giving you good, God giving you good gifts you don't deserve. But mercy, mercy is God protecting you from bad stuff. Because of bad stuff you've done. Mercy is God protecting you from the consequences of your own irresponsibility and your own sin. Oh God, have mercy on me as a sinner. Never is this more depicted more profoundly or beautifully than in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus was on the cross, he did not ask for mercy. Why? Because he was taking all your punishment for your sin. Why? Because he was taking all God's anger toward me for my sin. Don't give me mercy, Lord. I want all their sin. I want to be made to be their sin that they might be made right with God. And so His body was brutalized. His blood was shed. He was fully physically dead. He was buried and he was victorious over the grave. Three days later, raised from the dead. He refused to receive mercy that we might have mercy, that God would protect us. And and here's the coolest thing about it. Oh, I'm spilling. Come up here, I'll baptize you. I love you guys. You're awesome. Dave, Dave! I thought my fly was down. Dang, I spilled a lot of water. Here's the deal. This cry for mercy, this is the fifth secret move of Jesus. Because when we pray for mercy, that prayer levels us up into the flow of God's favor. His favor on our marriage. His favor on our finances. His favor on our emotions. His favor on our work. His favor on our families. When we cry out for mercy, it puts us at the center of the flow of God's favor. So every day, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's not just the fifth secret move of Jesus for, uh, to help us level up to the superabundant life of Christ. It is the most significant move and it is a prayer Jesus answers every single time. Oh God, have mercy on me as a sinner. Just a moment. Ray's going to 
uh, baptize someone. And this is the prayer of people who are baptized. All those baptisms in the videos that you saw earlier, those people are like, hey, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And boom, they share in the death of Christ and all their sins are washed away. They are cleansed of all guilt and shame. Everything wrong with them. Man, I got them under the water a long time. Come up here. <laughs> Everything wrong with them is put on Jesus. That's mercy. And everything right with Jesus is put on them. And everything bad about them is put on Jesus. And everything good about Jesus, they are made the goodness of Christ. They are bathed in the goodness of Christ. And so, man, this is, this is a huge opportunity for the candidate today and for you next weekend to make yourself the target of God's unlimited mercy. But every week, it's why we take communion here. That little piece of bread represents the blessings of Jesus for your life. That cup reminds you that his shed blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. You are crying out to God for mercy when you eat that bread and drink that blood, drink that juice. Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But look what happens in our story. Jesus looks at the religious guys, just goes eye to eye to eye with all of them. And he says, I tell you the truth, this man, the guy that cried out for mercy, this man, rather than the religious guy who prayed about himself, prayed to himself, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. When I cry out for mercy, I'm justified just as if I never sinned. When you cry out for mercy, you are justified just as if you never sinned. Now, you're, if you believe that Jesus is God who lived a perfect life and died on the cross to pay for your sin, if you believe that, then all your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven freely and for fully and forever. Now, more, more than that, you are cleansed of all guilt and shame. It doesn't just take care of the stuff you've done. It takes care of what you feel about the stuff you've done. But it's the resurrection of Jesus by which we are justified. He died, yeah, for your sin. Yeah, he took our place on the cross. He was our substitute, getting all the punishment we deserve. But it's when God raised him from the dead that we now are set free from the power of sin and death and hell and the grave and Satan. It's by the resurrection. That's why the gospel is this. Christ crucified for our sins and risen from the dead. Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Would you stand with me and pray that prayer with me? I'll say the phrases, you say them after me, but you're not so much reciting as you are speaking to God, as you are making that ultimate secret move of Jesus, a cry for mercy that God answers every time so that you are just, you're gonna walk out these doors. You're going to go into your afternoon and evening just as if you never sinned. Here we go together. Oh God, have mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing and answering our prayers. In the name above all names we pray, amen. Thanks so much for joining us. 
Just a reminder to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwire.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.